0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. Experience more episodes, videos, and Bible study resources at christianquestions.com. Today's topic is, can we be content with chaos? For most of us, chaos brings stress. To say that life often borders on being chaotic is a massive understatement, and it's getting worse. Sometimes we might wonder where God is, while we're all spinning out of control. Is he watching? Does he know? The answer may be surprising. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host, for over 25 years. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture
0: for this episode? James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy.
1: Chaos rules. Just look around at the world's social, political, and moral condition. We all want what we want, and we seem to now go to greater lengths than ever before to demand that we have it. Having what we want doesn't stop there, as we now more often than not demand that what I want is accepted by all. This chaos is not merely limited to my social media presence. Oh no, it expands into my perceived right to relabel any and every aspect of life as I see fit. From politics to family dynamics to workplace expectations to educational environments, we are running towards a social order that is founded upon disorder. What are we as Christians supposed to do with all of this? How could these unsettling and monumental developments possibly be part
0: of God's plan? It's our belief that God is a God of order. Our theme text tells us this, James three seventeen. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. This verse describes God's wisdom as a calming influence.
1: It is such a calming verse to read. And yet, and yet God uses chaos as a tool of that calm order. How can this be? Well, to begin to understand, we need to first understand a little bit about chaos. So, Jonathan, let's just go to a standard Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. What is chaos?
0: Chaos is a state of utter confusion, a state of things in which chance is supreme.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Utter confusion, a state in which chance is supreme. Chaos can mean complete disorder, but it can also mean a disorder that is beyond our capacity to understand or measure. In the field of mathematics, the field of understanding chaos is a very, very, very big thing. And we thought we would drop in, on a little bit of the understanding of how that field works and where they go and what they look at in terms of figuring chaos out. This is from How Chaos Theory Unravels the Mysteries of Nature. And this is from Seeker. And here's just a basic introduction.
2: Deterministic chaos. See, as humans, we're always trying to know more about how our world works. So we make models. For example, we have a bowling ball. We know the weight of the bowling ball, the effect of gravity, the density of the air, the height of the balcony from which the bowling ball is to be dropped, and we can put all those things together into a system of equations that we can use to tell us things like how fast the bowling ball would fall, or the force with which it would impact the ground. That means we can also reasonably predict what might happen if any of those variables were to change. This is a deterministic system. The behavior of certain variables is determined by their known characteristics. But not a lot of the world is like the bowling ball example. It's a whole lot messier.
1: So she's talking about a deterministic system in which mathematics comes into play to say, hey, we can predict the deterministic system. And this is a big, big thing, as as we'll find out as we go through the podcast. Uh, Predicting weather is all about the mathematics of deterministic chaos. So we wanna take that as a basis because it's gonna help us understand the bigger picture of chaos because chaos comes to us in different ways. First, we have what we just listened to, a deterministic chaos that is strictly designed by God. So our first aspect here is gonna say, look at this and say, let's look at a deterministic chaos that's actually designed by God. And so we're gonna label it. We're gonna call this planned chaos. It's designed by God it's planned chaos in this kind of chaos things seem to be out of order and out of control but they are in fact precisely as God designed them to be the single greatest example of this is creation so Jonathan let's look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 to 5
0: in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Let me stop here. To the untrained eye, the chaos and harshness of this beginning stage would make no sense. How can you possibly get all of the diverse and detailed life the Earth brought forth out of that?
1: You're, you're right. You look at that and you say, well, that's just, there's, it's, it's just so far off from what the finished product looks like. And you say, there's just no way you can go from there to hear because of the incredible detail and the beauty and all of the things in the earth. Well, from God's perspective, from God's perspective, this was his designed starting point. His planned chaos, something that looks completely out of order but really isn't, was simply a beginning point as it held all of his pre- predetermined and necessary ingredients to make the earth inhabitable. So when we look at this planned chaos, it looks out of control, but God's basically saying, wait, 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 wait. Just, just let me finish. Just let me finish.
0: Just let me finish. So Back to Genesis 1. I'll, I'll let you continue. finish. Good. <laughs> okay. Continuing in verses 2 through 5. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. So we're just taking this small clip of
1: creation as an example of God's planned chaos. Out of a seemingly dark and senseless mass of elements, God created the systems of our earth. Now we've obviously dramatically oversimplified that, but it's God's planned chaos.
0: The fact that creation is still going on in the universe— while it continues to expand, is amazing. Is that just by chance? I I think not.
1: (laughs) And and, you know, for me, Jonathan, would take, take a side point for a moment. To see all of these things continue to unfold and to say that there is no power behind them, that to me is just absurd. And we don't understand. And here's the point, we don't have to because it's bigger than we are, and it's his planned chaos. Now, let's hold that thought on planned chaos because along with God's planned chaos, chaos also comes to us by way of God's permission. This is a little bit different. This kind of chaos contains elements that are not of God's direct creation but are results of God's planned permission of evil and sin. So this is a chaos that's a little bit different and we're going to label this. We're going to call this God's permitted
0: chaos to the untrained eye this kind of chaos is scary its elements cannot be easily traced back to a clear and definitive design plan however as we shall see this brand of chaos is in the end always subject to the external will power, and wisdom of God.
1: So this chaos, this brewing, it's got evil and darkness in it. What we're saying is God didn't build the evil and darkness, but he can use the evil and darkness within his grand plan to have this chaos be for a reason. So let's hold that thought, and we're going to really spend most of our time on permitted chaos, this kind that doesn't come just from God, but comes from all of the elements and 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 where sin has gone and so forth. There are many 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 great examples of this kind of permitted chaos. We're going to use one here today that is very familiar to us. We've used this many many times, and I'll tell you, Jonathan. Every time we tell this, speak of this biblical account, I learn something new. So, in chapter one of his proph- prophecy, Habakkuk was giving given a disturbing vision of how the Chaldeans would overrun would completely overrun god's people here's what he said in habakkuk chapter one verses two to four
0: how long O lord will i call for help and you will not hear i cry to you violence yet you do not save why do you make me why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness yes destruction and violence are before me strife exists and contention arise. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk is distraught. He's crying, Lord, where are you? Don't you see what's happening? This seems senseless to Habakkuk. Why wasn't God stepping in and adverting the chaos? And, you know, for all
1: of us, we can get to that exact same point. You look at the chaos in the world around us, you look at the things going on, and you say, where's God? Doesn't he see? Doesn't he understand? Well, folks, the tune that we're singing is not a new tune. This has been around for ages and for generations, because darkness and sin always are godless. And you say, well, wait, if it's godless and this is God's creation, the the, the two don't go together. Hold on let God finish. I mean, that's really what we want to get to here, and we're going to unfold this uh, later on, but uh, let's go a little bit further. That was Habakkuk chapter 1. This is That was Habakkuk's, uh, just his, his sense of, of disturbance here. After he poured out his heart and uh, poured out his fears to God, he then goes and waits
0: for God to respond. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tables, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay.
1: So Habakkuk basically says, okay, I know God's going to have something to say to me. I maybe got a little bit over overdone in my reaction, like, God, how come you don't see? Because I really know better. I'm doing a little paraphrasing here and a little bit of opinion. But he, he comes, and what he's basically told is, there's a vision to all of this, and you're going to have to wait. Even though the vision looks like it's going to take forever, it will come. Next, God proceeds to speak of evil and idolatry. He talks about what how bad things are going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, which we will come back to later on in this episode, Habakkuk sums up the glorious ending of what God has revealed. He sums up the vision. And there's an enormous lesson here having to do with the chaos of the moment that Habakkuk was looking at saying, "This is awful." I can't handle this. It's too much. God, we need your help. So you've got this amazing difficulty, but the story continues far beyond that. And we'll we'll get to that uh, later on in the episode. So Jonathan, let's let's begin to put this part together. Let's find some clarity in the midst of chaos. What do we have?
0: When we look at the darkness and chaos of world events, we, like Habakkuk, can be assured that all of what is happening is within the permitted chaos of God's plan. He sees it, he understands it, and has ultimate solutions for all of it. Am I regularly reminding myself of who has ultimate control? So Rick, does this mean God uses COVID-19, hurricanes, and disasters for his glory? Okay,
1: (laughs) I would actually rephrase that question, is I would say God allows within his permitted chaos, COVID-19, natural disasters and hurricanes and so forth, for his glory. He allows it because he allows the unraveling of things to show the sinfulness of sin, and we will unfold this as we go. So those are all pieces of the chaotic puzzle that so many of us look at and say, where is God? Hold on, let him finish. This is God's permitted chaos that we were beginning to look at and hopefully beginning to appreciate. Chaos is big. Chaos is everywhere, but not to worry because God already knows and already has
0: his planned outcomes for everything. So, if God does have a grip on all the world's big picture chaos, How do we get a grip on our own chaos experiences? (laughs) That's, That's a
1: good question. As Christians, it's important that we put our life experiences and our life observations in their appropriate perspective. Whether the chaos that affects us comes from our small circle of influence or bigger social or world events, either way, it needs clarity. Now, this clarity can only come when we realize that Our fundamental reactions to chaos can increase or
0: decrease its power. So we either react to chaos by feeding it or by diffusing it.
1: Exactly. In other words, chaos can have greater power because of me or less power because of me. There's a little bit of responsibility right there, so, so let, let's, let's get into this. And let's, let's look at, at, at how we respond to chaos. Are we overwhelmed by chaos because it displays large-scale lack of control, or are we overwhelmed by chaos due to our own uh, personal lack of knowledge or faith? Now, it could be a combination of the two, but those are two big things. Is it because of the lack of control, or is it my own personal lack of knowledge or faith?
0: This next letter from the Apostle Paul was written from prison. He was under house arrest. How does he handle that chaos? Philippians 4, 10-13 But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul is sitting
1: in prison, and he's saying, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now you've revived your concern for me. I mean, there's this happiness at the fact that he's sitting there in prison, and he's unable to go do the things he was supposed to do. Why is he happy? Because he's learned the secret. So we want to clarify the chaos here, because he is being stifled. The Apostle Paul is being dramatically stifled in what he would normally be doing. But he clarifies the chaos that he's in. Here's here's what it is. For us, it's learn the secret that the Apostle Paul learned. Know that we can do all things through Christ— and not through our own strength or our own perception.
0: It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Saying it is a nice gesture, but doing it is life changing. And that's the point. And the
1: apostle showed us how to do it. I can do all things. I can be, I can be stifled. It's okay because it's in God's hands, and I will do the best I can within this small little opportunity versus the great opportunity of traveling over the continent. There was a great difference, but he didn't look at it as less of an opportunity. So the chaos was clarified and therefore handleable. You're right. It's not just enough to say it, we have to do it. Now look, chaos may arise on our part, when we find ourselves in circumstances of potential physical harm or circumstances of danger. This is permitted chaos. Remember, God's permitted chaos. He allows sin and and darkness and bad things to be mixed in for the ultimate good. This permitted chaos in and of itself creates havoc because it brings uncertainty. So what happens next?
0: Well, internal chaos... This internal chaos provokes us to react, and that's usually means panic. <laughs> and th- look, we all go
1: through that panic scenario where it's like, I just don't know what to do. I am in over my head. This is just too much. We're going to get into an, uh, uh, some examples of this kind of chaos in just a moment. We want to go back to how chaos theory unravels the mysteries of nature. Uh, by Seeker because it's talking about in, in this clip it's talking about weather and remember it's talking about deterministic chaos chaos that looks unruly but has a pattern and has a an actual predictability when you understand what the pattern is
2: Take the weather just think about all the things that go into making weather temperature, humidity, wind strength and direction, rotation of the earth I mean the list is exhaustive We do have models for how all these many variables behave, but a perfect weather prediction would require highly accurate measurements of all the many contributing variables over every square inch of the piece of atmosphere we're looking at. In a system like this, little measurement errors can result in huge fluctuations of our calculated result. Tiny changes of the input mean a large variation of the output. Now, don't get me wrong, the system is still deterministic. The variables behave the way we expect them to, based on their physical properties. So it's quite different from something that is random. But it's highly unpredictable, and subject to vast variation. The system may look disorganized, but there is a set of rules that apply to the chaos. Deterministic chaos.
1: The system may look disorganized, but it's deterministic. And that's what I want to take from that. When we look at the permitted chaos of God in his plan, the system may look disorganized, but it has rules. This is a big, big, big thing. And Jonathan, they're talking about weather and numbers. And you know, this is why weather forecasts are never right? That's true. <laughs> because the, the variables are so incredibly massive, you can only predict out so far without it breaking down, because you can't take every single little thing into perspective. So let's look at a permitted chaos example uh, in, in God's plan. For In this case, for Jesus. In this chaos example, Jesus with his disciples, and this is after a normal day of preaching to the masses, a hard day's work for Jesus. Mark chapter 4, verses 33 to 36.
0: With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So, hard day's work. Let's go over to the other side of the water. They get into
1: several boats, and they're going across the water. And you know, folks, you know, probably, if you know your Bible, you know what we're getting to. Okay? So they're going after a hard day's work. And here's the thing. Chaos is most difficult when there's no warning. And that's what happens in this particular event. Let's go to Mark now, chapter 4, next verses, verses 37
0: to 38. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Get the
1: picture here. The boat is, the the, the water is, the waves are breaking over the sides of the boat and the boats are filling up with water. Jonathan, from a human standpoint, this is justifiable panic. That's for sure. Yeah. You're (laughs) in the middle of the water. The waves are huge. They're bigger than the boat and your boat's filling up. You are afraid, justifiably so. Mere humans are no match for the elements. So here's what happens. Mark chapter four, verses 39 to 41.
0: He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Ooh, ooh, pick (laughs) me, pick me, I know, I know. He's the son of God. Jesus' lesson is, I'm with you, therefore you are safe. I'm with you, therefore you are safe.
1: And it's by the power of God's own spirit that he was able to perform this amazing natural miracle, calming the sea and taking that fear instantly away. So, looking at this, let's clarify this chaos. First of all, we are no match for the elements. But God's power through Jesus can and will protect us as he sees fit. Let's not forget that part. To be no match for the elements is therefore of no consequence, but just be smart. Just stand in faith.
0: So, in other words, use the spirit of a sound mind. Don't go outside during a tornado and say, I have Jesus, thinking you'll be safe. That's just foolish. And we don't want to do that.
1: But, but Jonathan, I just want to drop in a, just a, a personal experience. We were visiting my son in Virginia just over the last few days. And uh, he's in Virginia on the shore, and we were at the, at the beach. And the waves were unusually large because of, you know, tropical storms out in the Atlantic. And, you know, they're like five, six-foot waves. And they're huge. So you're up near the, the beach and you're looking at them and they come in and they have they, they don't care what's in front of them. The power and the strength, it's, it's just it's overwhelming. Now, it was easier for us because we're standing on solid ground. You can walk towards it, then you can walk away. They were in a boat and those massive waves were crashing inside of their boat. You can imagine the great fear they had. Just be smart. It would not have been smart for us to just walk out into that water and say, hey, we've got Jesus, no worry about the waves. No, you stay on solid ground and you don't go out too far because that's just foolishness. So the chaos was handled by God's Spirit in his way. Let's, let's go a little further. Another chaos example. Okay, so that was a, a weather-related chaos example. Next chaos uh, example, chaotic responses may arise on our part when we're faced with dramatic injustice or betrayal. This permitted chaos can easily bring high emotion and gut reactions of aggression that are not godly. The Garden of Gethsemane, betrayal of Jesus, is a really good example of this. So let's go back to Jesus and the Apostles, this time in the Garden, when his time for betrayal arrives.
0: The following are the combined accounts of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some details we will sum up. And the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. And summing up John 18, 4-9, Jesus approached the oncoming crowd and identified himself as the one they were seeking. The crowd fell back when Jesus spoke. Power forced them to the ground. Jesus proved they had no power over him.
1: He did. So you have the physical tensions building, you have the tension, the chaos of of Judas actually betraying him right in front of the other apostles. So you've got this tension-building scenario, as Jesus then reasoned with the crowd to let his disciples go. So Jonathan, let's just drop back into that reading.
0: When those who were around him, his disciples, saw what was going to happen, they said, "'Lord, shall we strike with the sword?' Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Stop, no more of this. Put the sword into its sheath, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? The cup which the Father has given me shall I not drink it?
1: There's so much that happened in, in that section. You have the the the, the crowd approaching Jesus and, and the disciples saying, should we strike? And of course Peter doesn't wait for an answer, he just attacks, because that's Peter. And so you have chaos breaking out. You now have all-out violence beginning. That, that first stroke of the sword was the first stroke of a violent interchange. And Jesus, just like he did with the sea, he said, stop. No more of this. This is something that I am here to actually accept and embrace because it's my Father's will. What looks like chaos to you is God's permitted chaos to me, and I am willing to walk through it and with it. Now look, the apostles had a very justifiable human reaction. The man's innocent. You can't take him. There's no reason. We're not going to let you. Chaos had begun to erupt, but Jesus took control, and Jesus diffused it. And in the middle of that diffusing the chaos,
0: what happened next? Few words that put it all in perspective. And Jesus touched his ear and healed him. And
1: there you have the the way Jesus looked at this permitted chaos in God's plan. Not only did he stop the violence, but he undid the results of the violence because they were unjustifiable, and it was one of His own people hurting someone else. And he just he he healed them. It's just an amazing, amazing sense of the depth of Jesus character. So when we clarify the chaos here, when we are faced with clear injustice, we need to remember what Jesus did. He saw God's direction, uh, what he saw what God's direction was and he followed it without any hesitation.
0: But Jesus understood that injustice was a necessary permitted chaos to give glory to God.
1: Sometimes we need to remember that as well. Be like our Lord. Jonathan, let's let's wrap
0: up the reading here. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then the band and the captain and the officers and the Jews took Jesus and bound him.
1: So you have chaos continuing because now all of Jesus' disciples fled. So now they are in a chaotic state, but Jesus is calm in the midst of this permitted chaos. So, Jonathan, finding clarity in the midst of chaos, where are we?
0: Whether we face the uncontrollable chaos of the elements or the temptation to create chaos because of injustice, we always need to find our center in the example of Jesus. He was clear as to the will of God and his every step, word, and deed were in place to fulfill it. Am I searching for such clarity as I respond to the chaos that surrounds me?
1: Boy, that's a big question, and that's an important question, because we are not going to get away from chaos. So am I going to respond in a Jesus-like manner and submit to whatever God's permitted chaos is bringing to us. It's becoming ever more obvious that there's no getting away from chaos. How do we handle all that? How we handle all that chaos is the real issue.
0: Repelling the temptation to react to chaos that comes from circumstances is one thing. How do we handle our own ability to create chaos? Oh, Creating chaos here. Our next examples we'll focus
1: on how we as human beings can manufacture chaos based on our own imperfect thoughts and emotions while those creating the chaos in the examples we're going to use were not christians we want to be sure and understand that they were humans just like we are they were humans just like we are let's be guarded against our own
0: humanity An example, Rick, I thought of were the zealots in Israel in Jesus' day. They were trying to push the envelope to provoke a military rebellion against the Romans. Some believe Judas, with his false perceived ideas, may have tried to push Jesus into taking over as Messiah. Most of Israel was expecting Messiah to take control over Rome. When Judas realized Jesus didn't resist arrest, Judas hung himself. You know, what about a modern-day example?
1: Jonathan, there's lots of modern-day examples of these things. And here's the key to it all, drama, gaining attention. That's the key. And that's unfortunate because we take things into our own hands. I, I, just, I just saw a, an article not too, too long ago about, and I don't even remember what the quote-unquote cause was, but these folks decided that they were going to stop traffic and they were going to stop traffic in a way that it couldn't start, so they glued their hands to the road. Uh, and so so that nobody could get past. And you think, okay, and what is your point? Well, their point, they thought, was we're making a dramatic statement and you must comply. You must see. You're going to stop and you're going to listen. I don't know, but I think most people looked at that and said, well, how foolish you are. What if somebody, you know, I, we can get into all the what ifs. What if somebody was, was, was sick or dying or an ambulance had to get somewhere or whatever? There's all kinds of things. And yet you're trying to be dramatic, If we need to resort to drama and creating of chaos, maybe our point is not the point it should be. Here's the problem, though, Jonathan. We as Christians can create chaos. And you know what? Here's a hint. Not a good idea. Don't try this at home. Let's look at another chaos example. Chaos may result or may arise as a result of feelings of rivalry, now, this is not a state of mind that can be easily diffused. Example, when Paul and Barnabas were in Iconium, they preached the gospel and performed miracles and drew many Jews and Greeks to them. However, some of a Jewish sect of that city of Iconium just, uh, stirred the believers, the, the non-believers, against them and they sought to stone them. So you had all this following, then all of a sudden you have people looking to, to stone them to death. And Paul and Barnabas then left the city. So let's clarify the chaos here a little bit. Paul and Barnabas understood that this circumstance was not going to bring glory to God, and they wisely moved on. Are we as wise and perceptive in our moments when we are facing
0: chaos? I like that. They diffused the situation and found a way out. They did, and it was important to do that because there's no
1: great value here and if there's a way out, they, they took that way out. So let's continue now. So Because when Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra, Paul healed a lame man who had faith. This healing was done in a very public fashion. It caused exactly the opposite reaction from the previous Greek crowds. Remember, the previous Greek crowds were looking to, to stone him to death. Here's what happens in Acts 14, verses 11
0: to 13. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods became like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds rick which is worse the chaos of people trying to stone you to death or the chaos of people proclaiming you as false gods to worship i don't know which is worse i just don't know and you
1: can't even imagine how much frustration that would have caused for paul and barnabas who are messengers of the gospel of jesus christ this is not what they're there for so here's what happens here's what happens next acts 14
0: 14 to 15. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore the robes and rushed down into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. So you have chaos here breaking out in a very different way.
1: This chaos is, hey, we want to laud you and call you a god versus the chaos of, hey, we want to kill you. So both of these are, 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 are crowd reaction. And crowd reaction is so much an element of chaos that can become very, very, very unpredictable. And Paul and Barnabas looked at this and they explained how God was the creator of all things and is bigger than their man-made idols and he's, God is reflected in nature. And they emphatically said, we are not gods. So they're starting to calm it down a little bit and now here's what happens. Talk about chaos escalating. Acts fourteen eighteen to 20.
0: Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Rick, how is it possible that the crowd could be won over by the Jews from Antioch after Paul performed a miracle from the power of God?
1: I know. You look at that and say, wait, there, there's missing pieces here. And, I, you know, it's not written what actually happened. We can speculate. And so my, my personal speculation on this is these, these Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Now, they're Jews, mind you, okay? They don't like Paul. They're not, they're not idolaters themselves, they, but they come to this city, they followed Paul, they see what he's doing, they say to the, the, the crowd that's, that wants to worship and say, you realize what he's doing, don't you? He's taking your, your gods away. He's saying that what you've worshipped for your whole life, and this is my opinion of, of perhaps what, what stimulated this, he's saying that what you've worshipped for your whole life, what your parents have worshipped and their parents have worshipped, is just a piece of stone. Are you going to let him get away with that? You see the insult that he's putting upon? They would have riled up the emotions of the crowd and created this chaos, and they did stone him, and they thought he was dead. And, of course, they left him for dead. Then the, uh, the, the disciples gather around him. He stands up, shakes himself off, and he walks back into the city. That's our beloved Apostle Paul. But, wow. Jonathan, you see the chaos from the crowds, the rivalry that drove the individuals to such high levels of action that were just so pathetic. So when we try to clarify the chaos, whether we perpetrate this chaotic rivalry or are the victims of it, because we can perpetrate it, make no mistake, we need to understand that our human emotions easily block reason and kindness when we feel threatened.
0: When I hear the word rivalry, the first thing I think of is politics. It is so nasty in our world today.
1: It is. It is. And, you know, with politics, you start out with your ideology. And an ideology is a good thing. And because it defines the way life and society should be. And you feel very strongly about that. And that develops a very, very strong sense of right and wrong. And that sense of right and wrong then develops a sense of labeling those who see it differently. And that labeling then becomes rivalry. And that rivalry rivalry then can become chaotic because we take it out of context. Instead of saying, these are human beings just like me. They have opinions that are thought out just like me. Oh, no, 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 we don't do that. We say they're a bunch of idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. They haven't done any, they don't understand. And, And so we create this massive, massive problem, and we make chaos bigger. Folks, we have to be careful not to stimulate rivalry like this because it is so ungodly you know sometimes we can diffuse the chaos around us or we can't diffuse the chaos around us but we can deflate the chaos within us
0: how do we do this sila stop pause and consider count to three remember where we once stood, and compare it to the solid ground of the cause of Christ upon which we now stand. We will look at several verses in the third chapter of Philippians and break it into four different parts as we go through the rest of this episode. Let's begin with Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Remember where you stood versus
1: where you stand. There is a difference. Make sure you continue to stand in the present, not in the past emotions that you once had. Jonathan, let's go to another chaos example. Chaos may arise when we're challenged beyond our capacity. In such cases, the reaction generally is fear, and we can easily resort to making up stories and exaggeration about those whom we perceive as threats. Stephen's final experience in death were good examples of what can happen when people let their fears overwhelm them. So let's drop in on the final experiences of Stephen very quickly to look at the chaos that surrounded him and what drove it. Acts chapter 6 Verses 8 through 15, will break it into pieces.
0: And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men, from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Being overmatched did not result in humble consideration of the disagreement, just the opposite. too bad. Continuing, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him say blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. Lies from men made Stephen look evil to others. That picked up fierce momentum. It did.
1: And it's amazing how fast that kind of chaos picks up momentum. Folks, are we contributing to that? Be honest with ourselves. Are we contributing to that in any way, especially if you have very strong political feelings? Do we get a sense of, well, let me just bend the truth a little bit because they really don't know what they're talking about? Have you talked to the people that you say they don't know what they're talking about to find out? I mean, come on, we got to put this in perspective. This kind of chaotic reaction is all too common. How many times do people just want to be rid of those who stifle their own beliefs and opinions? So let's continue in Acts 6, uh, verses 13
0: to 15. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Stephen showed godly peace as his response to their anger. He was backed into a corner and had nowhere to hide.
1: He was, and he responded with that godly piece. It was really very, very, very brilliant scenario here. And, and Jonathan, when we look at this, and, and you know, the, the challenge, being challenged beyond our capacity, social media is a great way for us to get great. It's a great. I'm saying that very sarcastically. It's a great way for us to fall into the the creation of chaos. We don't want to be doing that here. We don't want to be part of the social media that's they putting down others without even knowing who the heck they are.
0: And another way of describing social media at its worst is called cancel culture, yep. where they will destroy your reputation if you don't agree with their views.
1: Let's clarify this chaos. How easy is it for me to short circuit the system for the sake of shielding my own beliefs from being challenged? That's what we just described. On the other side, How bold and yet humble am I when I'm being mistreated by others for the sake of the truth and of Scripture? Where do I stand in all of this? How do I handle it?
0: We have two focuses. One, if I am causing chaos, why am I doing it? And two, if I'm receiving chaos from others, how am I handling it? Sometimes we cannot diffuse the
1: chaos around us, but we can deflate the chaos
0: within us. How do we do this? Selah. Stop, pause, and consider. Count to three. Compare whatever principles drove your past actions to the principles of Christ's righteousness driving your present actions. Back to Philippians 3, verses 9 through 11. And may be found in him not having righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which comes from god on the basis of faith that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead our battle isn't against how we feel our emotions can be fragile but we must rise above our feelings and emotions for the sake of Christ-likeness.
1: We need to do that. We need to put ourselves in that position and compare the principles that used to drive you versus the principles of Christ's righteousness presently driving you, and leave the other behind. It's so important. We don't want to be contributing to the chaos around us because it's not godly contribution. So, Jonathan, finding clarity in the midst of chaos
0: whether it is rivalry or fear that provokes us towards creating chaos is not material all that truly matters is that we attain and maintain levels of spiritual maturity to be able to respond with christ-like dignity to any and every experience rick this christ-like dignity is our chaos diffuser absolutely christ-like dignity
1: nothing less so which is worse chaos from within or chaos from the outside well does it really matter let's just
0: focus on putting it all in its place we have spent time on chaos from our circumstances and chaos from our own hearts what is the lasting big picture of the destiny of chaos okay this is really the whole point of this discussion
1: If God is a God of order, and he is, then how does God, once and for all, put all chaos in its rightful place? Well, remember Habakkuk? Before we go back to his prophecy, we want to briefly visit one example of how Jesus himself intentionally caused chaos. Yeah, Jesus intentionally caused chaos. Let's look at this chaos example. Chaos on some occasions can come for the purpose of making right that which is wrong. Jesus, after he triumphantly rode into Jerusalem, remember everybody hailing him as a Messiah, he created chaos to send such a message of writing that which is wrong. Matthew uh, 21, 12 to 13.
0: And Jesus entered the temple and drove all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. That's a pretty bold statement that he makes, a pretty bold action that he
1: took. So to clarify this chaos, Jesus knew that the people needed to see just how far, far they had fallen from God's ways. And he also knew that the wrongs being done were not yet due to be corrected. So the question is, why did Jesus do it? And that's an important question. Perhaps he did it to show them that coming back to God for Israel and for the world would have to be through God's permitted chaos. We know that Israel was being cast off, they would go through a long period of time of disfavor. We see that God's permitted chaos had to be put in place because sin required it to be so. Perhaps he's showing them you've made it a den of thieves. And now you're going to suffer the lengthy consequences of such things before you're able to come back to God. So Jesus intentionally caused chaos to send a very spiritual, very eternal message of loyalty to God. Let's, Jonathan, take a quick moment and go back to how chaos theory unravels the mysteries of nature from Seeker as they sort of wrap up this part of their conversation.
2: So many natural systems are chaotic, like the climate as a whole, the dynamics of clouds, population dynamics, the patterns of the stock market. The way your milk swirls into and combines with your coffee? That's chaos theory in fluid dynamics. These systems may be chaotic, and have seemed impossibly daunting in the past, but the math of chaos theory is now relatively small potatoes to the huge supercomputers that we can use to calculate the progression of chaotic systems like the climate with more accuracy than ever before.
1: So you hear the joy in her voice like, hey, the supercomputers are cracking the case. And I, and, and I look at that and I appreciate that. You appreciate the, the, the leaps and bounds with which humankind has come in terms of trying to figure all of these things out. But the point here is we're trying to crack the case of the permitted chaos that God has already put in place. He has made it all work, and he's created all of these systems. And we're just trying to figure it out. We're proud of ourselves when we figure out what's always been. And I just get a, get a charge of that. So let, let, let's look at God's permitted chaos and what it's there for. God's permitted chaos brings God's perfect kingdom. Permitted chaos, perfect kingdom. Let's look at examples. Chaos. Daniel
0: 12:1. Now at that time Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time and at that time your people everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. We know the great time of trouble will be scary and massive. We can't change the fact that it is coming. But we can change our heart and mind because of the good that comes after it. And that brings us to kingdom. We had chaos, time of trouble, kingdom. Same book, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever. We need to remember, God had this all plan from before sin entered into the picture with Adam. Revelation 13.8 says, Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So, no matter how difficult it may be, God's kingdom will be the silver lining.
1: So, we started out this podcast looking at uh, the deterministic chaos of creation— Even before all of that, God had the solution. He had determined what would be able to happen, and so the solution was already in place. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great, great calm. You know, sometimes we can't diffuse the chaos around us, but we can deflate the chaos
0: within us. How do we do this? Selah. Stop, pause, and consider. Count to three. Press forward. What happens around us does not determine what happens within us unless we allow it to. Mm. Back to Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Press
1: on. We can hold on to things that we know are future. Because God said them, even when the present looks very, very dark. Let's look at another example. God's permitted chaos brings God's perfect kingdom. How do we know? Let's look. Psalm 46, chaos first, Psalm 46, 1 to 3.
0: God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains, which picture governments, slip into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar in foam, picturing the restless masses of humanity, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Sila. Pause and consider,
1: count to three, because that sounds pretty dramatic. All right, so you've got that Sila moment. Then go down a few verses in the same psalm, Psalm 46. Let's look at verses 9 to 11. This is the
0: kingdom. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. I like how it said, cease striving. Yeah. Relax.
1: God has got this in control. It's the deterministic chaos, the permitted chaos that God understands, and he allows all of the darkness and the sin and the evil to work for everyone's eventual benefit. Again, sometimes we cannot diffuse the chaos around us, but we can deflate
0: the chaos within us. How do we do this? Selah. Stop. Pause and consider. Count to three. Have a single-minded focus. Chaos cannot compete with single-mindedness. Let's finish up the lesson with Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This reminds me of the prophecy in Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7, which describes Jesus' trial as a perfect man. It says, I give my back to those who strike me and to those who pluck out the beard and spit on me. But here is his response. For the Lord God helps me. I have my face like a flint. I will not be ashamed. I have my face
1: like a flint. What does that mean? It means, I. he says, I have stone cold focus i will not be moved i have my objective and whatever the chaos is that surrounds me i will follow the leadings of my father that's what we've got and that's why this kingdom can come because of jesus stone cold focus god's permitted chaos one more time brings brings god's perfect kingdom So let's go to another chaos example. Remember Habakkuk? In chapter 3 of Habakkuk, remember we talked about that right at the beginning, he prayed about all that God had revealed about the coming trouble that God's chosen people were going to experience. Habakkuk had some fear, but ultimately showed great faith. Let's look at the fear part. Let's look at the chaos part first. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, and then 16.
0: In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us.
1: So Habakkuk is saying... I have no choice and I am trembling inside and I'm quivering. My lips are quivering. Decay is entering my bones. I just am stuck. I don't have a way out. So you look at this and you think, boy, he's in rough shape. No, no, no. He's just showing us this is how he feels. But this is not who he is because he knows that this is permitted chaos, that God has it in hand. And here is what happens in the very next verses of Habakkuk 3, verses 17 to 19. And, you know, first part was chaos. Now, this is kingdom, but this is a kingdom attitude in chaos. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19.
0: Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He has my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. About the hinds feet, you know, this is like mountain goats and rams can scale a cliff with ease. That's the kind of walking that Habakkuk feels. So you
1: see that he is afraid. Because of the chaos that is to come and his hands are tied, he can do nothing about it. So in the midst of doing nothing about it, what does he do? He diffuses the chaos within. And he says, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vines. If everything fails, I will rejoice in the Lord God because he knows. He is above all. The vision will come. Remember we said at the very beginning, it will come. Even though it tarries, wait for it. It is sure. It is sound.
0: And this is a prayer of acceptance and maturity that he's showing here, isn't it, Rick?
1: It is, and, and that's such an important aspect here. Folks, we can't control what's without, but we can control what's within. So clarifying this chaos, God's hand is ultimately overall and in, in control. Chaos is a temporary tool that God uses to demonstrate our overwhelming need for him. So that was the kingdom attitude in chaos with Habakkuk. Let's go to Revelation now to see an actual picture of God's kingdom. Revelation 21,
0: 1-4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Man, what
1: a powerful assurance of what's going to happen after what's going to happen. You have the trouble that's going to happen. It's prophesied. It's sure. It is going to happen. We can be like a backhook and say, okay, I can't control it, but I can diffuse the chaos within me so that I can stand for that which is highest, and that is God's will and God's way. So Jonathan, finally, finding clarity in the midst of chaos.
0: In God's hands, chaos is a tool that demonstrates the sinfulness of sin and the inherent need, That all of humanity has for God and His righteousness. As we deepen our understanding of this foundational principle, let us also deepen our awareness of how we handle our chaotic world and experiences. Let us be sure we stand as examples of God's peace and love. We can choose how we stand. We can
1: choose for what we stand. We can make choices in the midst of the most chaotic circumstances that we can be a light shining for the glory of God. Or we can be just be like everybody else. Folks, it's a choice. Find yourself going deeper into the scriptures and find your strength to be able to be content with the chaos around knowing that is God Almighty who controls it ultimately. Thy kingdom come. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com coming up in our next episode. How Can I Doubt My Doubts? Kind of fits very well with this. How Can I Doubt My Doubts? Part one. Talk to you about that next week.